Welcome to Darker Days Radio, episode number 38. Darker Days Radio, of course, is the Onyx Path podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. How's it going, Chris? Uh, it's great, other than melting my brain. So, so yeah, <laughs> it's good. Nice, nice. Oh, right, so you what's up, man? Your what's brain, up? What? You melting at your end? No, it's actually been stormy and cool today, but, you know, the rest of the week was pretty warm. Yeah, it's um, meant to be hotter here tomorrow, so we're really enjoying it, aren't we, Sam? No answer. That's because she's languishing in hell with the heat. It's that hot. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> where to begin? There's quite a lot of stuff going on right now in the world. Indeed there is. Indeed. The world of darkness has been racked by change in the last couple of days. We'll get to that in the news segment, of course. But uh, why don't we why don't we start off with uh, some shout outs to the new people on Posturus. So we've got uh, God forty five, DJ Grave Digger, and John. Yeah, it's good to see some new or old people uh, from the old forums uh, making use of Posturus, and people that have come over from Facebook, so we can actually. Have some proper discussions and post stuff up. So it'll be good to see a, them, those guys are joined by more people. Uh, the other person I'll give a shout out to. Um, so I was talking to a friend of a friend on Facebook who turned out to be Marco of a band called XP8, the industrial act. And so in talking to him, I found out he once upon a time was actually involved in the Italian uh, Camarilla. Um, oh. live action roleplay group uh, down in Rome so I may try and send him a few questions o- about um, you know what the laughing scene was like over there I think that'd be kind of quite enlightening to find out how if anything's different or kind of what plots they were running isn't Diego from the uh, Italian LARP scene as well oh uh, yeah good point um, yeah. I'd have to go back into the emails uh, he mostly knows something about it so It'd be kind of interesting to find out just how LARP varies from place to place because you can also get quite a lot of difference with uh, how you have uh, Western LARP, which is generally kind of like American and UK-based LARP, compared to, say, how LARP is uh, approached in places like Denmark and the uh, Northern European territories, kind of like, you know, Sweden and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a di- quite a different attitude to in-game and out-of-game and where that border is. I guess that brings us on to a rather full mailbag. Uh, we, we don't have anything in the mailbag. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Nothing in the mailbag. So people... Oh, no, we do have one thing in the mailbag, which is our, uh, one, one entry. Uh, we've had another entry, I believe, on, um, on the actual Podbean site for the competition to name the Darker Days... Uh, Avatar, our little icon, our our skull with his uh, headphones on. So we're still, I believe that competition, Mike, you said, was open until September 1st. That's the one. Um, so we're still open. Well, it depends when this goes out. 
but we do need more of those. Awesome. So I guess that's it for the mailbag, and let's move on over to the news. So, um, recently White Wolf put out, or is it Onyx Path, put out uh, Following Skills Part 2 by Monica Valentinelli, friend of the show, and that's the uh, second and final part of the Falling Skills uh, SAS adventure. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So I haven't checked it out yet, but um, hopefully it's a, a good follow-up to what Matt McFarlane did. Yeah, I need to grab the first part, so um, I believe I have a review copy of the second part. So uh, I've got to put it off until I've had time to read the first one. Anyway, it's good to see that out. What else have we got? Well, over on uh, WODnews.net, uh, WODnews.net, uh, there's some uh, interesting uh, Twitter stuff from Chris McDonough about the uh, mm-hmm. MMO development team. It's very cryptic. It doesn't give us a lot of information, but it seems like there's quite a bit going on with the World of Darkness MMO. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes so you can check it out further and try to see what you can decipher. Yeah, I think um, I had a look at a few of those. They were posting up... Um a few photos of slides or of um, whiteboards with notes on it and so forth. So, and people have been, you know, of course, doing their work to zoom in and decipher what's there. Mm-hmm. And then our next announcement is the big one, the Onyx Path. So, Mike, you know a bit more about this because I've, um, I've basically been kind of trawled through whatever information is out there from Gen Con, but what we learned so far about the Onyx Path, this strange thing that White Wolf has been teasing us with. So it turns out that the Onyx Path is going to be an independent company owned by Rich Thomas and independent of CCP, of course. Uh, something very interesting is that Rich Thomas now owns the rights to both Scion and the Trinity game lines, Trinity being an older game line from the 90s that uh, White Wolf put out, kind of a mixture of science fiction, superheroes, and pulp. Mm-hmm. Additionally, they're going to be licensing Exalted, Classic World of Darkness, and New World of Darkness, uh, as well as publishing some independent RPGs like Russell Bailey's Cavaliers of Mars. Yeah, we've seen some uh, on, I think it's on Facebook, and I've also seen it on Google+, Plus. Uh, some of the art coming from Cavaliers of Mars, and it looks like a really good product there. Uh, yes, indeed. Definitely liked the one art piece of the uh, city of Vance on Mars, which has the Zardoz heads. Yeah, yeah, that looked really wicked. So you also found out that essentially Onyx Path products are still approved by White Wolf and CCP. So it's quite interesting when you look at this, that there's certain products which are owned fully by the Onyx Path, and other products are licensed to Onyx Path from CCP, and then there are other uh, independent ones which obviously are written by people who are friends of or already heavily involved in White Wolf already, or in the past. And then Onyx Path products are still approved by White Wolf and CCP. It looks to me like a very cool kind of setup for almost for CCP White Wolf to be involved in kind of helping new 
intellectual properties kind of make it into the RPG industry and then also grow to the point that they could also be something that I, I guess maybe that even CCP can look at in future to license for gaming, for like online or you know, computer gaming. In particular, like the, the point that Exalted is licensed, that means CCP is holding on to that one quite tightly. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. I mean, since this is going to be a separate company, um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how involved CCP... I don't think CCP is going to be involved at all with, say, uh, Cavaliers of Mars. Because that's that's not even going to be owned by Onyx Path. It's going to be uh, just published by them. And Russell mm-hmm. Bailey still has all the rights and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's it's um, it's good, though. It's uh, I mean, it sees the return of Trinity Lines, and it means, well, Scion is going to obviously see new products and it means that we're going to see hopefully newer you know absolutely brand spanking new products from the white wolf writers themselves as things independent from white wolf that's kind of what i'm expecting here mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah uh but one interesting note is that the mind's eye theater material is not going to be licensed by the onyx path uh, but mm. there's actually other parties that are interested in kind of talking about it right now. So uh, we're not going to immediately see anything new for Mind's Eye Theater and the LARP community, but hopefully in the future that will return. Okay. Well, that is all something very interesting to chew on. And I'm sure even more interesting stuff will come out of uh, Gen Con with the fact that I believe Rich and some of the other guys, um, David Brookshaw's even there, have uh, been talking on panels about things like Mummy and... I'm sure trying to not give away much about, say, Demon as well. So um, hopefully by ne- by the next show we'll have even more stuff to talk about in, uh, along this line. Hopefully we'll see. Now another interesting thing is that they're going to have some uh, apps coming out. Uh, specifically there's going to be an iOS dice rolling app for a new and uh, classic World of Darkness. And if that sells well, they're probably going to have something out for Android as well. Yeah, which is kind of interesting. And uh, Rich also had been talking about uh, some non-PDF options for books, like apps and programs and that kind of stuff. And I know, Chris, you're actually talking to him about that a little bit in the uh, after show. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely something that is a very uh, natural progression, I think, because um, it's the idea that book that the P- the idea of a book as a PDF um, is kind of not the most useful thing in the electronic format because it it emulates the printed book but sometimes it's not really useful in in game you want to be able to search things more kind of like a wiki and so i think it's moving mm-hmm. towards that kind of uh, model and you only have to look at as we've been talking about on the, on the posthumous forums hint hint plug plug go there now where we've been talking about um certain uh, games workshop products which are t- take the form of electronic products such as the, uh, the new um, Space Marine Codex. And those are really good in, I mean, admittedly very good uh, interactive products. And the only thing we said as a downside was, well, they're only on, they're only on Apple. But it, it just shows you where things are moving towards and that you can do a lot more than just having a PDF. Yeah, what about the downside where the digital copy is more expensive than the physical codex? Yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah. that's the magic of that company. <laughs> right, right. 
and one last thing to note, uh, and this is going to make Adrian Stagg extremely happy, is that Kithbook Boggin may be offered through something like a Kickstarter during uh, Changeling's 20th anniversary year. Mm. That should be pretty sweet. Okay. That is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. Changeling 20th anniversary. Wow. Yep. <laughs> It'll be it'll be amazing if they ever get, if they ever do then a Wraith twentieth anniversary. It'd be good to see yeah. that. Just completely ignore anything to do with uh, you know the maelstrom and so forth. And uh, yeah, maybe cool. I don't, I don't know if Wraith really needs a twentieth anniversary. Like it seems like it seems like the rule system was fine, and it's. I think it'll just be interesting to again. It's one of those things maybe to update uh, some of the history content just to make it more contemporary in that way. But yeah, rules-wise, mostly not much to fix. Yeah. Now, now changing on the other hand, the, uh, cantrips, the cantrip system changed between 1st edition and 2nd edition, and in both cases, didn't seem like it was very good. Like, it was a little bit broken, uh, especially in the 1st mm-hmm. edition. So that game could definitely use a 20th anniversary update, I think. Okay. I have no experience with... Uh, with um old school changelings so uh i'll take your word for it on that one yeah yeah cool man so uh i think that's it for the news and let's move on over to the curling camera (laughs) right well listeners this curling camera uh is born out of a general discussion about really the representation of spirits within film. I think, uh, Mike, we came to the conclusion that many times when there is any sign of of, uh, ethereal beings or, um, or possession, it normally comes down to ghosts or demons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when we looked at Inferno, the book Inferno also looks at how you know it's a very uh, uh, the difference between demons and spirits. Uh, it's it's a difficult line to draw because it, it they have certain there's a lot of nuances with it. So for this reason, uh, we've picked out the film Black Swan, and it will become apparent as I go through it. So um, going into it uh, initially, uh, Black Swan is quite a uh, I think is is an interesting film as it's shot um, with all the close angle shots it makes it feel quite claustrophobic and thus quite some of the scenes quite intense or maybe kind of uncomfortable just because it's a film about ballet dancers doesn't mean uh, it's a uh, a fluffy film or a girly film this is far from it um, and it should not just be seen for any of the sexual content or anything that's implied within it. It's significantly more than that. Um, I would also say it's a very good model for not just how maybe how ballet can be quite a stressful uh, a stressful kind of a, a form of, of work or, or a hobby or, or a profession that it actually just shows how how um, anyone in a position of stress can really get off the deep end. So, the plot. 
the main character, uh, Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman, is a young dancer in New York, and she lives with her mother, who is of course a former dancer. Uh, the company is prepare, uh, preparing to open the season with Swan Lake, which is a very famous uh, ballet and quite intense. The director, Thomas Leroy, uh, is played by uh, Vincent Castle, and he has to cast uh, the new principal dancer uh, after forcing their old principal dancer into a retirement. Uh, the old dancer being played by, um, now it's just. Uh, by Winona Ryder. But in this case, uh, and where it makes this version of Swan Lake quite different, is that uh, Leroy, uh, or Leroy, I would mostly say because it's French, uh, wants the same ballerina to portray both the innocent uh, and fragile uh, white swan and the dark sensuals with the black swan. So of course, Nina competes for the part, and even though the audition goes badly, um, she asks for um, the position to be reconsidered and she gets the role. On the proviso, though, that she shows passion uh, to perform the role of the Black Swan. This leads to an uncomfortable uh, confrontation between her and Leroy, where he forcibly kisses her and she shows her passion by uh, basically biting on the lips. Um, but that, of course, gets to the part. Now, where do things get more complicated? Um, there's an angry confrontation between the old principal dancer, who's currently drunk, uh, at the party where Nina has announced the new principal dancer. Um, this all leads then to the old principal dancer getting hit by a car and being seriously injured. Um, and. It's around this time that Nina begins to witness strange things happening. Uh, Thomas, of course, Thomas Leroy, is uh, critical of her, saying that she's very frigid, very cold, very aloof, that she needs to show more, uh, take more risks, put more into the dancing, be less of a perfectionist, and let her passion lead her through the role. And in order to show this, he points out another dancer within the company, who's played by Neil Kunis. Now, you now have two dancers, the principal dancer and another one, who uh, have an interesting uh, relationship. Um, and Nina gets led along by the other dancer, Lily, and they go on a night out, and this eventually leads to Lily, first of all, being, uh, first of all, offering Nina a capsule of ecstasy to loosen her up, and then eventually she instead spikes Nina's drink. Uh, Nina then returns home, has a fight with her mother, backpacks herself in the room, and imagines that she actually has sex with Lily. This, of course, all turns out not to be true the next morning, where Nina wakes up late, goes to the rehearsal, talks to Lily and finds out all of the previous night with sex and so forth is all in her imagination, which Lily finds amusing. Nina is, of course, stressed out. Um, also, 
I'll note, this isn't in on the, uh, the plot description on Wikipedia, but uh, during this time Nina is also show, uh, displays um, signs of scratching herself as part of uh, a kind of like her stress kind of showing up as some form of like self-harm, which is just, you know, idly scratching herself. And this leads to a confrontation with her mother, her mother trying to um, clip her nails or even put socks on her hands to stop her from scratching herself in her sleep. Right. Now, when the, uh, we'll lead on to now Nina's hallucinations and things that she sees getting stronger. Um, she witnesses uh, the Thomas Leroy, who's the director of the, uh, of the show, um, having sex with Lily backstage. And Beth, the old principal dancer, who she visits in hospital, who had the uh, car accident, she witnesses um, Beth stabbing herself in the face with a nail file, which Nina uh, drops uh, bloodied into the elevator. So she um, takes the nail file off. Um, Nina then has more arguments with her mother, uh, during which she passes out. And her mother, uh, who's concerned about Nina's erratic behavior, tries to prevent her uh, participating on the opening night. Um, Nina eventually stands up and makes her way out of the apartment. And um, because Nina's mother has called in, uh, called in that Nina is sick, no one's expecting her to turn up. But she arrives and forces herself, uh, forces everyone to accept that she's going to perform as the white swan slash black swan. Um, now, I can't quite remember, but there is a point within the film, uh, other points to up until this point um, within the film, where uh, Nina pulls from her her back, where she's been scratching herself, a uh, what appears to be um, a feather, uh, like a, a very small feather. It's like there's now kind of small spines, you know, the type the quills from um, from feathers. So. There's that element. Uh, other elements are that her mother has an obsession with her daughter, that she's constantly painting pictures of her daughter. So there's all this focus on Nina. So Nina's about to perform in, on the opening night of Swan Lake. And the first act goes well until Nina has another hallucination. Um, and this is while she's being lifted up by her dancing partner, who is playing the prince. And this is causes Nina to be dropped quite abruptly and obviously quite painfully. Um, they end the act. Uh, she leaves in distress uh, back to her dressing room where she finds Lily. Because Lily, at this point, is getting all the makeup done to perform as the Black Swan because they're all assuming that Nina is too, uh, doesn't have the focus anymore to continue dancing and performing on that evening. Uh, a confrontation occurs and uh, Nina believes that she sees Lily transform into, literal, into her literal doppelganger. So you now have Nina facing in her white swan outfit, facing herself in her black swan outfit. Uh, this leads to a fight where the Nina wearing the black swan outfit uh, kills the white swan outfit version of herself by shoving her 
into a mirror and grabbing a piece of glass and stabbing her in the stomach. Um, and the corp, so and then the corpse transforms back into Lady. I may may have got the, the, the I may have actually got the uh, which way round it is, but it'll be apparent if you watch this or you've seen it. Anyway, Nina hides the body, which is reverted back to Lily, and uh, yeah, he's all dressed up as the Black Swan and returns back to the stage to dance and dances with passion and sensuality to the point that she believes or it occurs, or no one sees it, but it does occur, that she sprouts feathers and literally becomes half-human, half-swan on stage with these huge black wings. And she loses herself into this performance, literally becoming the black swan. At the very end of the act, she receives a standard ovation and she goes off stage. The rest of the cast congratulate her and Nina kisses uh, Thomas Leroy, which surprises her. Uh, then she goes back to the dressing room because she has to change back into the white swan outfit. Uh, at this point, uh, there's a bit of shock. There's no body there, but the mirror is broken. And it is at that point that she realizes that there is a shard of glass in her own body, that she stabbed herself, or at least that's the impression we were given. Um, however, she goes on to dance in the last scene where the white swan in all its brief um, runs up the cliff and in front you know spreads her wings and falls back off the cliff uh, as the white swan commits suicide at this just before that occurs Nina sees her mother in the audience weeping and so Nina has a sense of uh, having some sort of finality that she actually performed both roles um, so Nina falls back onto the hidden mattress, the theatre is obviously in applause, and Thomas and the cast again congratulate her, only to find that she's lying there bleeding severely, and that as the white ceiling lights come on, uh, as the curtains have closed, that she whispers, I felt it, perfect, it was perfect. So, that, that is Black Swan, and Mike, have you seen this film? Nope. And despite just finding out the entire plot, I still think I have to see it. Because that's so trippy. It is quite a trippy and I would say uncomfortable film. Um, having watched it uh, with my wife, there were points when we realised that it actually wouldn't have been fun to be in a, in a cinema full of people because obviously of some of the sexual content. It's The way it's shot, it's not sexy it's too much like you're actually in the room voyeuristic and it's the way it gives insight into a person's state of mind and what things they will do when they've kind of you know obviously under a state of stress and and uh, uh, you know breaking down why I've picked this film out is because to me it's quite a good example of possibly of animistic of an animistic spirit possessing a person and pushing them to com to do certain things and acting certain ways. So in New World of Darkness, there are um, we we have the rules of spirits, which are described in books such as Predators and uh, and in um, and also in of course Web and Mage and in the Book of Spirits. And spirits can 
initially possess someone and influence them, so they're riding them, and then you get uh, uh, a spirit can fully possess someone, so they're taken over fully. And I think this this film actually gives kind of a good example of a person that's possibly possessed by a spirit that's literally tied to uh, to the very concepts of what the Black Swan is. Um, so, you know, it's about passion and sensuality and jealousy of, of the uh, innocence of the, of the white swan, or hatred for it. And it also shows how a person can be at a, at a point of duress where, and, and at that point, they are more open to a spirit influencing them and eventually taking them over. Um, and you know the idea that um, she could be pulling feathers from herself is quite shocking. There are also uh, parts during the film where there's a lot of um, because of course ballet uh, ballet performers, ballerinas, and you know dancing in front of mirrors to to um, to see how well they're dancing to get their to get their performance uh, down and get it correctly, uh, all the moves correct. And so you have a lot of play of the use of mirrors and so forth. And um, and so that really lends itself well to, again, the ideas of like the shadow and hissle in, um, to do with spirits or the umbra uh, in World of Darkness games. Um, so yeah, I think it lends itself to pretty much anything in World of Darkness. Uh, and again, it could also be quite good as inspiration to, um, to maybe uh, the idea of changelings, of beast-seeming uh, in Changeling Lost, or perhaps even anything to do with uh, changing breeds within uh, Werewolf. Any other ideas? Mike, just from what I've told you, or any other things that you seem intrigued by, and that you want to, why you want to go see the film to, to learn more about it and get some more ideas from it? Well, what I would like to do is just uh, pick a character in the group and um, just mess around with them. Yeah, you know, have him start having these events that don't even that that aren't even true, that, but he thinks he sees. Um, there's always there's always like passing notes and that kind of stuff, which can uh, definitely mess with players. There's two routes you can go with the messing with notes. Um, either you passing notes to a player and telling them what you're passing notes to all players, and one player in particular is seeing different stuff to all the other players. Or you're passing notes to all other players, and one player isn't seeing what everyone else is seeing. Um, I've seen this trick done really well in Trail of Cthulhu games, where uh, one player is not aware that all other players have changed a particular plot point. So you something not that it drastically changes the game, but say uh, from now on a certain NPC has a completely different name, and that gives gives the idea that your character is slowly going mad because you're like who the hell's Paul? And they're like, you know Paul? And they're like, is someone called Philip or, or James or something? Uh, and you can just slowly build these up and yeah, you could do exactly the same thing in a World of Darkness game. Um, and also, you were saying about things being seen. It maybe is a very good example of how uh, low clarity changelings can react or uh, or even any character that possibly at a low morality level and has some form of derangement. Uh, mage also possibly could be a paradox 
uh, manifestation. Um, ooh, what else? It could also be the ghost of a. Uh, it could be also a ghost of a ballerina. Uh, again, doing possession because they were somehow involved in a performance of Swan Lake, and it's their last time to shine. Um, or, yeah, I think that kind of covers it. <laughs> Unless you got some other ideas, I might. Uh, not about Black Swan specifically, but I have been kind of trying to think about the uh, issue of a lack of animism yes. spirits in Western media, which is something we were covering right at the beginning. Um, yeah. And kind of just to bring things full circle, animism, as I understand it, is still a pertinent religion in Africa, I believe, but uh, pretty much the, West, the rest of the world has moved away from that, correct? So... I think the only thing that possibly gets near, that I think is the clearest thing near to it, is the elements within uh, Shinto and things related to it because they have local spirits that normally are kind of animalistic or, you know, it's the spirit of a local river. Right, right. Potentially, yes. Interesting. Yeah, that, that could definitely be uh, something to look into. Uh, the only other piece of media I can kind of think of potentially maybe being animist is uh, Twin Peaks, the uh, television show. But that's more okay. just because we have no idea what the spirits or whatever they are yes. in the show, well, actually are. Uh, it's really just a big mystery, which was never resolved in the show. Yeah. Um, I would also go I would also go as far as saying that um, taking another show which has... Uh, oh, I'm going to... Actually, I'm going to pick a few shows here. Um, I believe it's episode six, season one, Buffy the Pack. Uh, features, as you say, from Africa seems to have some animistic things. Uh, has a, some a particular breed of hyena brought to Sunnydale, and it takes a again spoiler alerts throughout the curtain camera here. We have to. Uh, they've been quarantined, I've been told, and um, it takes a it takes a uh, predatory act to cause the spirits within the hyenas to then possess the humans and for them to gain those powers and sense and uh, senses and abilities and that's one example um, the other example uh, I will take is from the supernatural anime series which sees a, a Japanese they introduce a brand new um, story to Supernatural, which takes place in their version of Season 2, um, which involves a Japanese spirit called a Kappa, which is kind of like a fish spirit. And it turns out, in the end, to be completely benign and actually really trying, just trying to help people. And it helps people by stealing some of the, stealing their food. So all the time there's these bad events happening to people in this town. It's and they think something's causing it. Actually, it turns out that they're being rescued from just pure accidents by this spirit in return for some food. So that's a really cool episode because I like the episodes in Supernatural when it turns out that the evil thing, the thing they think is evil, the monster, is actually the good guy and is more human than humans. Uh, I can't think of anything else from live-action Supernatural uh, in seasons one and two because, of course, Supernatural goes off into it. Christian madness uh, with angels and demons 
possibly there is an early episode in season one that involves uh, something to do with some land that's been used in a particular time of year. There's a curse that's been put on by uh, Native Americans, but yeah, that's kind of a bit boring because that's already been done with like other core films with Pet Cemetery or something like that. Book-wise, or other film. Yeah, it's a, it's a difficult thing, so obviously I think we'll leave open for other people, to, listeners, to suggest other films that fall into that category. Again, I think films that may come across immediate, immediately come across as maybe films that are about demon possession, but actually, if you look at them in the right light, aren't about demon possession. Um, could also act quite well, because I think it's too easy to write them off as I think sometimes the scariest demons are the ones that don't even really do anything with relation to you know God or Christianity or whichever um, whichever uh, religion and instead just seem to you know be influenced by it rather than being from it um, oh one more film I would actually say that's close to possibly being an interesting way of looking at animistic spirits um, one book which we will discuss in the retrospective, which is, of course, uh, Night Horrors Wolf's Name. Um, a section of that about the Idigam and about those spirits. And one thing about those spirits is that, they, that Father Wolf banished them to the moon. So literally off Earth. And they eventually find a way to return uh, after the 60s. And... So one film is possibly The Astronaut's Wife, starring Johnny Depp and Charlie's Theron. Have you seen that one, Mike? No, I have not. Okay. Uh, based, again, shall I go with massive spoiler alerts? Uh, spoiler alerts here, and it involves possession again of an astronaut, and imagined by an otherworldly entity. And you can, therefore, you can also take the idea that Alien possession is a form of, can also be seen as a form of animistic possession. I think I've not given enough away on, on that spoiler that it, it still leaves it fairly interesting how it all plays out and how it works. It's quite cool. I mean, if you really want to go with perhaps the crappiest example of, of, of that idea, species, <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a B movie example of alien possession that could easily considered spiritual possession cool all right chris uh, i think that wraps up everything for the uh, curly and camera so with that let's move on over to the classic world of darkness segment classic world of darkness tonight for the classic world of darkness segment uh, I think we should mention or do a little review of Kinfolk Unsung Heroes, especially because uh, W20 is going to be coming out really soon. So it seems like it would be a good time to discuss the uh, redheaded stepchildren of Guru Society. Mm-hmm. So uh, first off, what are Kinfolk? Uh, basically, they are the, the kin, the families of Guru, because uh, when... Two Guru, which are the werewolves of Werewolf the Apocalypse, mate. When they do have a child, what results is a Metis, which is a sterile and physically deformed werewolf. Um, 
which is most at home in the uh, the bestial wolfman uh, Krenos form. Oh, okay. And those obviously cannot uh, cannot really continue the society. Uh, so it's important for uh, the Guru werewolves to keep families of kinfolk, which are either humans called Hamid or wolves, which are called lupus. And only some wolves and some humans are actually kinfolk. Um, only some of them actually have the genetics to mate with werewolves to create more. Okay, so that's that's um, that parallels quite well with obviously with where what they have in werewolf for, sake, uh, for the Forsaken, except they don't have the the lupus part. Okay, yeah, cool. yeah, the uh, the wolf blooded are are somewhat similar. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, Kinfolk Unsung Heroes came out in uh, 97 as part of the Year of the Ally uh, group of supplements. And what it specifically does is it, it kind of describes the Kinfolk and their place in Guru society. Uh, it's got character creation rules and uh, the kind of mandatory storytelling chapter. And uh, what's interesting about it is that uh, it's actually mostly told in in-character point of view. It's uh, actually a Children of Gaia Kinfolk nurse who uh, is assembling research uh, along with uh, a couple other uh, kinfolk. And she goes through and describes the uh, how kinfolk are treated by different tribes uh, and also discusses the Black Spiral Dancers, some of the Lost Tribes, and even some of the changing breeds. Uh, specifically, there's an entire page about the Bastet kinfolk. It also includes some kind of interesting ideas about kinfolk societies, which I think are very good for bringing into a World of Darkness game, specifically um, World of the Apocalypse, because it's very easy for kinfolk to be kind of put on the sidelines and not really, uh, not too much of a concern. Now, some of the societies included in the supplement are a little lackluster. Uh, for example, there's a Fianna kinfolk folk band and a Children of Gaia kinfolk kind of bureaucracy. Uh, both of which aren't that interesting. But there are some really cool ideas, like a uh, kinfolk kind of genealogical society, which keeps records of different kinfolk uh, across the world and tries to keep track of how uh, breeding and genetic material can be used uh, for this dying race of guru. Another cool idea is a uh, it's actually a kinfolk kind of like cult estate okay, where they uh, they actually live together uh, it's called uh, Via Topia Enterprise, and they're demanding equal rights in Guru society. Um, but it leaves right. things very open, and the uh, Shadow Lord kinfolk that's running the place might actually just be lying about everything. And another pretty wacky idea is uh, actually an elite mercenary company uh, formed by kinfolk called the Black Eagle, uh, which can be brought in uh, and can actually really be used in the more combat-oriented parts of World of the Apocalypse, which is also uh, very good to include kinfolk themselves. Uh, one thing I also kind of want to know about this section, uh, just because in light of what's going to be coming out for W20, is that Samuel Haight is mentioned all the time. <laughs> I don't know why. I guess because he's the only kinfolk that really had a solid write-up in World First Edition and Second Edition when this came out, when the supplement came out. They just kept bringing him up. Especially because he's, you know, a good example of a kinfolk go gone bad. Um, yeah, yeah. So, um, <laughs> mo moving on to the rules just a bit. Uh, they're pretty standard. It's what you would normally expect in a Old World of Darkness White Wolf supplement. Um, but there's a few oddities. Uh, for example, kinfolk can 
actually get uh, Gnosis, which is their the werewolf power stat uh, relating to spirits and the unknown. But this isn't purchased like it is in Werewolf. It's actually a merit. And if you spend five points in the merit, uh, then you get one dot. If you spend six points instead of five points, you get two dots, and seven points is three. Um, it's really just a strange way of doing it, since typically you would have, you know, you buy, like, say, Gnosis with freebie points, and it costs maybe five for each dot. Instead, if you mm-hmm. just spend seven, you get three dots. Or you can spend five and get one. Uh, yeah, it's just, it's very strange. Um, not sure why they did it that way. Also of note in this section is that, uh, there's some information on Numina and Hedge Magic. Okay. Um, but of course the, uh, Numina section tells you to check out 10 different books to get the rules for Numina. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's classic. It's classic. Uh, but there is a cool new power in here, which I want to bring up, especially in light of what we're going to be discussing later in the New World of Darkness section. And this power okay. is called spirit chasing. It's, uh, it's a bit of hedge magic. Um, so what it actually is, it's, it's a bond between a kinfolk and a chosen plant or animal spirit. And, you know, just like uh, discipline, it has different powers, different dots. Uh, so, re- for example, at uh, one dot, you start exhibiting some, like, features of your chosen spirit. At two dots, you have uh, increased sensory perception. At three dots, you can actually go into a healing hibernation state. And then finally, at five dots, you actually start becoming like your chosen chosen spirit kind of totem. Okay. And the the reason why I find this just so bizarre and interesting is that the idea of the kinfolk choosing a plant as as their, like, spirit bond um, can have some very strange effects. Uh, one, One example, which is actually from the book, is that uh, if you cho- if you choose poison ivy as your spirit bond, uh, you may, for example, produce a blistering rash uh, yeah, kind of yeah. effect on people that touch you. Another idea could be that uh, if you choose an oak tree, you might have like hardened bark skin and that kind of stuff. Mm. It's just a different way of thinking about things because you know a mortal becoming more animalistic is covered pretty often in the world of darkness, whether it be changing the lost or the werewolf games, of course, uh, changing breeds and that kind of stuff. But uh, doing the plant is something uh, very, very different and just kind of interesting to note. My only example of plants turn up is flowering therapist for changing the lost. And, oh, I believe there's a wood-blooded for elementals in Changeling and woodworkers, which are a form of wizened in Changeling Lost. So, and of course, yeah, the, it's always uh, the Mandragora in Ghouls. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's it's always it's it's quite interesting seeing those ones turn up because, as you say, animals are easy, plants are right. Exactly, exactly, and it just seems so out of place in a uh, well, not not exactly out of place, but very different in a werewolf apocalypse game that's just kind of why i wanted to highlight it mm, okay of course the uh chapter finishes off with some interesting discussions of different kinfolk um specifically there's some information on this one uh black spiral dancer kinfolk that appeared uh earlier in the book which is very interesting and then there's the mandatory storytelling section which is pretty dull and really doesn't give you it didn't give me any really good ideas for how to include kinfolk as player characters, along with the werewolf pack, just the, the power levels are so the, such a huge discrepancy that it did not seem too viable. Hmm. 
Yep. So I also just wanted to uh, kind of in closing for this segment, discuss some of the ideas, uh, like how you could take the idea of kinfolk and bring that into maybe the new world of darkness or other parts of the world of darkness. Uh, now, of course, um, both Vampire the Masquerade and Vampire the Requiem kind of already have this covered with uh, with with Revenants in Masquerade and Ghoul Families in uh, Vampire the Requiem. Yeah. But uh, one cool idea could be that uh, in Mage the Awakening, um, you may have... It may be that certain legacies are only accessible by those that uh, are part of a particular bloodline, or they need to follow some very strict um, breeding practices, almost, uh, just to produce produce mages that could be part of this uh, legacy. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I'm sure I've seen some sort of merit like that. Yeah, there's so many mage books right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that, that it, yeah, it's it's pretty cool to yeah, it be it's um it's cool to see that. Um that actually ties in quite well with um, the idea of uh you can of um the cabals in Mage the Awakening. You have um you can have legacy cabals which are you know, passed on to generation to generation because they do have people from particular bloodlines have a habit of awakening because you know family members have been previously mages as well. Yep. Well, I was just thinking about uh, with the Dune novels, there's this whole big plot to uh, produce like this one, basically Messiah. Kwisatz um, Haderach. Yeah. Yes, yes, the Kwisatz Haderach. And, um, and, and they had this whole complex plot and then it gets thrown off basically because someone didn't do what they were supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was kind of thinking about the idea for Mage and like how maybe this entire breeding program almost just to produce the possibility because this, this person might not even awaken in the first place. Yes. I don't know. I just thought it might be kind of interesting. Uh, another idea mm-hmm. I had was regarding Promethean created and how you might use, say the uh, descendants of uh, Prometheans that encounter the new, the new dawn uh, and what might come of that. Ah, yeah. One idea presented in the uh, Promethean supplements is that, um, the offspring of Prometheans that become human um, are actually not affected by the disquiet, which uh, gives some more role-playing possibilities. Um, so what might happen when you have uh, further, like, like centuries down the line, what could happen, what could be produced by these descendants themselves? That is quite a cool thing. I mean, especially because um, it's quite clear in Promethean that when a Promethean becomes human, he's more than capable possibly of awakening so if you're a promethean descendant and also combined with you know awakening awakening or uh, or anything related to any other splats out there there's potential some really crazy crossovers or just high you know some highbrow um ideas that you can uh, deal with i mean it'd be quite quite interesting to see how such a such a person would also interact with say the question or other entities really mm-hmm. cool um yeah actually at least that leaves me with an idea i wonder i wonder what it would mean to be born from a sin eater you'd essentially be more i imagine possibly more tied to death in some way um can um, can sin eaters even? I think 
still can. I'd have to go back and check the book, but um, I don't think there's any, I don't remember reading anything that said they can't. Um, huh. Yeah, that's a really interesting plot. It may lead to people that are obviously death touched, and it may it may mean that if that person then dies due to some sort of circumstance, that they're also more likely to become a sin eater and perhaps even the next embodiment of that geist. So you could almost have a a geist that goes down a, a particular bloodline. Hmm. Maybe. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, another idea is that uh, for Hunter the Vigil, uh, you could just totally rip off the TV show Grimm and have your characters be uh, uh, descendants from a bloodline that can see the supernatural for what they really are. Yeah. Yep. I've not seen Grimm. Um, but um, again, do we? That's also a common theme in. Um, in Supernatural as well. There's a whole bloodline thing in there. Well, this is a bit different. It's a Supernatural it's, bloodline yeah. as opposed to just they happen to all be hunters. Um, um, oh, no, it's more than that. Where have you watched up in... Where are you up to in Supernatural? Um, I saw... What's the current season? Season 7 just aired and just completed yeah. airing. So I saw the first couple episodes of that. Okay. Uh, what's we more about to do with the more um, who they're descended from? What goes all the way back? Two brothers that fight. Oh yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, oh, god. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, of course. Obviously, we can't forget um, the the perfect example of anything to do with bloodlines is, of course, uh, the representation of human bloodlines in Queen of the Damned. Yeah, the human descendants of vampires. So, yeah, that's always inspiration as well. Mm, indeed, indeed. All right, cool. So any other ideas about Kinfolk, or have we exhausted the subject? Um, no, I'm just trying to... Uh, the only thing I'm trying to rack my brain over is I most probably can't remember anything from... Anything specific, more specific than Beyond the Wealth of Satan book about the equivalent for the wolf-blooded. Um, but I suspect there is something in the... Oh, which book is it for Wealth of Satan? But, you know, the one that talks about the, more about how their powers work in real. So it's the equivalent for the blood in Vampire the Requiem. Blood of the Wolf. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, so I think that has something in there. Cool. Cool. All right, Chris. Uh, with that, let's go on over to the New World of Darkness segment. World of Darkness 2.0. Okay, so the New World of Darkness segment is following up everything, it seems, spirit and werewolf uh, related. Um, so this uh, kind of leads on from our previous discussions uh, to do when we looked at uh, demons and the book Inferno and Demon of Fallen. And so really, I thought it'd be kind of nice to look at a, a do a kind of a retrospective of the presentation of spirits in New Order Darkness, and then at the end we'll wrap up, kind of see what we can take from that for Old Order Darkness, and possibly whether the books are in Old Order Darkness. So, let's start off with the fact that New Order Darkness has great rules which allow for spirits in the in an analogous way uh, as ghosts to be presented in all games. In fact. Some of the games where you wouldn't expect spirits to turn up, they were there. Um, I was quite surprised when Promethean had its own uh, form of spirits. Um, spirits, of course, follow 
really all the same rules as ghosts, except for that they can access another place known as Hissel, uh, you know, the shadow of our world. Uh, and spirits would formally be uh, presented in Werewolf the Forsaken, and we learn about how they can exist in Twilight, there is the shadow, they come from this realm where inanimate objects, animals, uh, ideas, uh, emotions uh, are real, become real and are these entities, and how it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, and things get bigger and stronger by eating other spirits, either similar to, to themselves or other prey spirits. Um, and so the, the shadow world is quite a, a weird place, um, which is always overcast. Uh, it's always almost like it's about to be a thunderstorm, um, a constant twilight. Um, and of course, particular places uh, have particular emotions to, uh, tied to them, uh, be that pain, murder, disease, lust, hate, or maybe particularly strong, uh, strong positive emotions. Uh, the spirit world is, of course, then um, has more specific places, things that are known as shoals, locations of negativity, and some destructive spirits that gather there to feed off the, um, the, the spiritual essence that uh, flows out of these places. There are glades. These are positive places. And in the world of darkness, obviously, these are very rare places to find. Uh, wounds, these are places of great atrocity. Wars, plagues, and disasters, and genocide have occurred, and the spirits around there are certainly destructive, horrible creatures. And then we have the barrens, uh, which are places devoid of essence. They're parts of the gauntlet where it, the um, parts where the gauntlet between our world and the spirit world is quite thick, uh, and these can be places where, say, the Idigan, ancient spirits, or or mages even of the old order have uh, have really enacted epic acts, and it's caused some magical upheaval that's cut the place off and bleached it of uh, of essence. So you get the impression that the spirit world is quite twisted, and for these reasons, spirits are eager to come into our world to influence us, to create more essence for them to feed upon, or to get into our world to to taste and to feel what humans feel. Um, other locations, which are of course quite important, are loci, uh, which are which reflect strongly in the spirit world and they emanate essence. And they can even uh, be tied to a place or an object or a or even an animal. And spirits gather to these places to feed off the essence uh, that that flows out of them in the spirit world. Now, spirits are also quite interesting. That, as I said, they, they either feed upon spirits like themselves, or on the essence that is linked to them, or uh, or on spirits that represent that natural prey. So, uh, a fox spirit can consume a rabbit. A rabbit spirit. That's quite normal. Um, a a spirit of a fast vehicle may consume other uh, fast vehicle spirits, or or other vehicle spirits, or the spirit of fuel or fire or electricity, things that are tied to it in that way. You can also get cases where spirits, for whatever reason, uh, can be influenced by the change of essence that, they've been, that they're feeding upon. And so, in a sense, that mages, mages and, and werewolves and, 
and people and even vampires can manipulate the essence that is flowing in the spirit world to change the, the spirits and in turn change how the spirits influence our world. Some of the really curious things is when spirits feed upon spirits they shouldn't feed upon and you gain you create you have created these uh, spirits called magas, which are really an alien monstrosity that's a combination between between say a car spirit and a cat spirit you get this very strange creature as i said rules wise spirits are very much like ghosts and also have influences which means they can they can nudge to lesser or even greater degrees um things in our world so a dog spirit can influence dogs either like cause them to howl or to cause packs of dogs to gather and to even attack people spirits also have numina um which they can use and even teach to werewolves or even mages um also spirits have bands so very much like changelings they can be forced to do certain things or they can have certain aversions now that all sounds like quite a lot to take in and it's a lot of it is within the werewolf, the Forsaken book, but there are a few other great books which I think um, people that are heavily into New World of Darkness or maybe need some more inspiration for using spirits in games like Mage of the Ascension or Werewolf of the Apocalypse uh, might look to. So uh, one, of, one book which I made heavy use of for, for Mage and for Werewolf was Predators, which gives a, a greater overview of... Um, of the spirit world and spirits, and also introduces some other particular spirits. Um, in Werewolf, you have the host spirits. Uh, these are rat spirits and spider spirits that are, once were great, almost gods that were shattered by uh, Father Wolf, the creator of, uh, of the werewolves. And so we gain new host spirits like ravens and locusts, and there are even further terrible creatures, which are spirits and kind of not. They're, they're basically ancient monstrosities, which allow for crossover even into vampire. So, yeah, I've made quite a lot of use of that in Mage. Um, as we mentioned earlier, there is a more recent book called Night Horrors Wolfsbane, which has an expanded section about the Idigan. Uh The Idigan being, uh, again, rather epic proportion spirits are complete monstrosities which have all banished to the moon and which have returned because these spirits finally got the way learned the way back when man went to the moon and left behind stuff and with him he brought the spirits of space travel and those were the very keys that Vietigam needed to get back and that introduces quite an interesting concept where you can imagine a spirit tied to a a meteorite that falls to Earth. So you almost have that kind of, um, you can almost think of venom from Spider-Man could be a type of spirit, though very alien. Hmm. Now, Mage, of course, opens up the options even further. Uh, Mage has many different types of spirits. We have, in the main Mage book, we have the basic types of spirits in the shadow. We also have the idea of spirits in the astral planes, the Oneiris and Tenerios, which are different levels of, of mental reality are. Basically, our own dream shell, our own dream state of a personal person, and then the shared dream uh, worlds of everyone in the world. And you, know, you can push through each of these layers to find 
lost ideas. And so you get very more um, uh, more more I- spirits of ideas and concepts. They're, they're quite hard to describe, but you get you get the impression of that. We also introduce the spirits of the abyss. The abyss being a, uh, a realm of literally nothingness that is the wall between our world and the supernal realms where magic pours down from. And the spirits in the abyss are constantly hungry to get into our world to tear it apart and create nothingness, which as we mentioned in the show when we looked at Inferno, it means that those spirits are quite different to demons from the Inferno, which are more interested in corrupting our world to to our vices. So while demons from the Inferno are about vice and corruption, the demons from the abyss are about corrupting it to create nothingness. Uh, we also have, of course, the Akamoth, which are spirits which are eager, which are trapped in our world um, from the abyss, and they're eager to use the the dreams of mages to go to pierce through the astral realms back into the abyss to experience it, and in return give mages some powers and also cause the the slow degradation of the soul. And then we have the Goitia, the inner demons. So spirits, uh, these are spirits which are, are, are manifestations of the inner turmoil of mages as mages try to overcome their, their, their own hubris, their own, their own weaknesses, and to learn more about themselves. Uh, we also have spirits created by the ancients, by the very people from Atlantis, which are temple guardians. And if you look through a few books, uh, I believe it's uh, Runes of the Temple, Mage, and you look at certain of these guardians, there's even mention of the Nameless Empire, which relates to the new version of Mummy, I believe. Um, then we've also had books such as Astral Realms, which expands on astral, astral realms. Uh, we've also had the introductions of, of uh, really crazy entities and spirits uh, from uh, within uh, Boston Unveiled. And we also have books like Intruders, Encounters with the Abyss, which is, again, more horrors and entities from there. Um, to wrap up Mage, and something that I've been reading recently, we have Summoners, which is, again, a book more about spirits from a variety of realms. It deals with the the spirits of things that never were, that exist in the dead realms, which is very equivalent to what we see in Geist, with the Caraboy and the Geists themselves, which I'll expand on later. Uh, we also get introduced more spirits from the astral realms, more spirits from the abyssal realms, spirits from realms that aren't even anything to do with our world, uh, so essentially alien entities, and spirits from the supernal realms, which I have to say, reading through that, are quite epic and can do some really crazy stuff. So there's loads more powers, abilities, merits, artifacts within that book, again, to do with summoning spirits from every inch of reality and how they can interact with our world. That book is chock full of stuff. Um, It even has something to do with the the crazy... um, on a previous Darker Days, we, um, I believe Mark was explaining about the hum and related things where you get these radio stations that give out strange frequencies and, uh, and signals. And one of the ideas is that these the signals are in fact codes which, to the awakens, allow you to open up reality to, in, to uh, summon 
these alien entities into our, into our world. Now, as I said, other games have spirits in them when you really didn't expect them to be. Uh, Promethean gives us the Quashmal, which are the strange spirits of Pyros, sent uh, by the principal, which is further expanded in Pandora's book. These uh, spirits come into our world and are either to promote chaos or order, and they, they have a mission to perform, and either can appear to the Prometheans or to actually anyone, and they remain until as long as they can or until their mission is complete. There is also, of course, as I mentioned, Geist the Sin Eaters has the spirits of the underworld, because as we mentioned earlier, the rules of spirits and ghosts are very similar. And Geists are an interesting form of spirit. Um, I think the easiest way to example what a Geist is in Sin Eater is it's a ghost that has overcome their own anchors in the world and have become something more. They've become a, uh, a form of a form or meaning of death made made real. And they no longer need the anchors because they've become more like a spirit. Um, which is quite interesting because we see this same idea in Shadows of the UK, which introduces again more spirits, uh, which are quite because the UK and in fact quite a lot of Europe is so shaped by mankind, it makes the spirit world very different to what you'd get in America. And one of these spirits are the Watchers of the Quiet Dead, which are again spirits that merge with uh, a a ghost every ten years, a ghost of someone that's being buried in that graveyard. Of course, Hunter shouldn't be left out. It has a book called Spirit Slayers and is just the tip of the iceberg with spirits. It gives you everything you need to run uh, a simplified version of, werewol of werewolves and spirits in the game. But if you buy it, then please go out and you know, grab, say, The Book of Spirits, which is a great book, which we'll get to at the end. Um, Vampire, of course, has its own interesting relationship with spirits. There are the strips introduced back in Requiem for Rome, which are again uh, mentioned in Ventry Clan book and further turn up in Night Horrors, The Wicked Dead. Um, so these are, again, another spirit which may or may not be tied to the origin of vampires themselves. Um, we also have the Circle of the Crone. These are a, a order of vampires that are having, again, a relationship with spirits. They see them as small gods. Um, and, in, and in that book, it presents the idea that either the Circle of the Crone know what they're doing and their powers work and they can summon spirits, or they half know what they're doing, or they're making it all up. They don't know anything, and they're just bloody lucky. Um, nice. You get the idea. And that finally leads us to the Book of Spirits, which is a big blue book for, world, for New Order of Darkness that can be used for mortal games or really anything. It basically gathers up everything from mage and werewolf, um, it re-explains stuff, maybe explains it a bit better, and introduces a whole host of stuff. So you've got new merits for mortals, new flaws, new artifacts, new relics, new new powers even. There's even a bloodline of potentially mechic vampires, and so there's an entire discipline for vampires manipulating spirits, uh, which would make an excellent addition to the Circle of Crone. Um, and I think... On the last final note, something that I'm, I think we can look forward to is 
it'll be interesting to see what they introduce with books like, again, Strix Chronicles and The God Machine. Because The God Machine might have some interesting spirits in there. Hmm. And so that really gives a big overview of New Order Darkness and what's been put out on spirits. Uh, it's mostly not everything. There are more spirits in plenty of other books. Uh, more, if you really want some more kind of something equivalent to say intrudes from the intrudes of the abyss from the abyss or um, or the bits in uh, the back of uh, Summoners the Mage, maybe look to the final chapter in Second Sight, which again gives kind of creatures from the outer void kind of Cthulhu kind of style. Yeah. Other books that we can think of. I mean, of course, Old World of Darkness has its equivalent books. I'm just trying to think of them off the top of my head. But right now, my brain is melting from going through all of that. And... Yeah, no, they're they're all over the place. I mean, you check the spirit section of one book and tell us to check ten other books. Yeah, I think that's one of the strengths, as I just mentioned. If you really, if you want to grab a book to introduce spirits into your game and really have a grip on it, and you're not playing werewolf, you're not playing mage, then grab the Book of Spirits. If you've got that, and you want some more, by all means, just because it's a werewolf book, grab Predators. It's chock-filled with more spirits. I mean, what's more scary uh, scary to a bunch of vampires to go, what are these spirits? Are they even spirits? And it turns out to be the Aslu from from uh, from Werewolf. Mm-hmm. It's, it gives you it allows you to in, in, inject some body horror into the game and potentially say, imagine you're playing a bunch of um, Ordo Draco and you find that, weirdly, this Wimness that was working months and months ago that's been rediscovered because you've updated you know, the, um, uh, the, uh, the Kagayan of, uh, of the Ordo Draco who keeps a, a map of all the, um, I believe it's him, who keeps a map of all the, uh, the, the dragon lines and the worms' nests and where these loci and hallows and so forth are. Finds that he goes back to an old one because they've rediscovered it and then finds, why is it not working anymore? In fact, why are all these ley lines suddenly shutting up? And it turns out to be the Asli. It really throws a curveball to the Ordo Draco because they're really into paranormal investigation, really. Hmm, yeah. So I think there's a lot of cool stuff. I mean, again, there's a lot of cool stuff there to grab for Old World of Darkness. I think I think the the host spirits would be excellent to inject into anything from Werewolf of the Forsaken and Mage of the Ascension. Yeah, it could They'd... be. Um, Ridden spirits in particular are pretty vague and not really covered that much in the Old World of Darkness, as far as I remember. Uh, uh, specifically, I've seen them in Hunter the Reckoning, uh, just mm. kind of mentioned, and um, there's also some basic overall rules for ghosts riding in uh, human bodies uh, in Wraith the Oblivion, but that's really it. Uh, there's Banes as well, but those also have some strange um, body horror elements, uh, specifically because you can start producing uh, Fomori uh, in that hmm. way, which are the uh, the weird mutant guys from Werewolf the Apocalypse. Um, yeah, it's quite clear that there's a lot of material to use and uh, again it just kind of I think it highlights the strength what the one of the core strengths of the of New World of Darkness is that you can there are so many books to grab which may not seem immediately um, applicable and can really 
lens the game. Um, I mean, you see this again with something like the uh, Book of the Dead. I mean, technically, that really fit, fits this list as well because, as I said, there's quite a few creatures in there which are really more like spirits, but they also, you know, are technically ghosts. And um, again, that you know, that gets into the interesting realm of uh, I think someone has touched on the idea that there's a place again below the underworld, which is you know, this dark place that's borrowed through by by these spectres. So it introduced the idea of like things that never were but are dead. So again, kind of concepts of, like neverborn and um, and ancient entities that locked off from our realm. Um, and the one thing which really I you know I went back to Werewolf and I went back to some of these books to look at uh, film suggestions or material to cover and yeah again it kind of emphasised the fact that within TV and film uh, media that it's kind of difficult to find things that really exemplify what spirits are which is why I think maybe it's it's quite important to it's quite the, the fact that these books exist is is really useful because we have less immediate. Uh, media to just to visually watch and go ah oh, i know what a spirit is whereas you know, you really kind of need to dig into it and you suddenly understand how crazy it can all get all right very nice uh, comprehensive list i think it's also important to note that of course the uh you mentioned that basic rules are always the same so uh, that's very nice as a as a storyteller to just be able to you know take a quick glance and uh check over the independent numinate powers and then you're good to go because you already know basically oh, yeah. how spirits work yeah, I mean, they're exactly, I mean, essentially, they're a few bells and whistles on the ghost rules in the main book. Mm-hmm. Yep. Good stuff. All right, Chris, um, I think that's uh, it's pretty good to wrap up the New World of Darkness segment. Um, now, just uh, before we go, I think I want to mention that uh, we, of course, have our ongoing contest right now regarding uh, submitting the name of the Darker Days mascot, the, uh, the, the head in the uh, headphones. Um, it's the logo on both Podbean and on iTunes. And so give us a name along with maybe a two to three sentence description and send that over to darkerdaysradio at gmail.com and we'll get you a free PDF copy of The Falling Scales Part 2. And, uh, yeah, just make sure you get that in before September 1st and that'd be great. Chris, anything else to mention uh, before we go? No, uh, we've all, we can always be contacted on Facebook, of course, um, Google+, Plus because... Onyx Path will be Onyx Path Publishing will be also using Google Plus and in fact you'll find a lot of the White Wolf writers on Google Plus. So oh, yeah. you, you can contact us there. Um, and as always, yeah, we have Posturus where we've got new people and new discussions going on. So um, we should also be expecting, as a link to this show, some uh, downloadable content to follow up on what we've previously put out for changing. So um, our listeners should be expecting from our dear friends um, some sample spirits to make use of. I believe one has a Welsh name. <laughs> so um, something to look forward there. Um, so again, stay tuned because you'll see it either link will we'll, again, we'll post it up um, as a separate post on the Podbean and that'll go directly phosphorus and also to every other place we have an outlet for this information all right uh as usual thanks chris i appreciate you being on the podcast and uh everyone good night good night